Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries. Welcome to our program. Right now, we're going through a program and about the spring feasts, and we're talking about specifically Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. This time of the year that we're coming up on those holidays, in fact, in April, we'll begin Passover, followed by the Feast of Unleavened and the Feast of First Fruits. So we decided that we'd share some program teaching with you about those three feasts. A lot of our brethren observe these feasts, so I wanted to share with you more information so to edify you if you're keeping it for the first time or if you've been keeping it for a number of years that we can have a little better understanding of it. Now, in our previous episodes and broadcasts, we've shared with you about the historical story of the Passover, what actually took place back in ancient Egypt and about how it was the 10th judgment that fell upon Egypt, the death of the firstborn. And the children of Israel were instructed to get a yearling lamb, bring it into their house on the 10th of Nisan, which is the first month of the springtime, sometimes called the month of Aviv. And they brought the lamb into their house, and then on the eve of the 14th, they said at twilight, that's the late afternoon of the 13th, beginning the Hebrew day of the 14th, it was at the evening, they slayed the lamb, they prepared it, and they ate the lamb there and took some of the blood of the lamb, put it over the doorpost and the lintel of the houses. And as you know, the story is at the Passover that the angel of the Lord came to judge the firstborn of Egypt and they passed over the houses that had the blood on the doorposts and so forth. Thus, we saw the redemption of the firstborn of Israel. The firstborn of Egypt were judged. Now, that's the historical. That's the the one that took place back in ancient Egypt. However, at the same time that Moses was given that information and shared with the children of Israel, God also commanded that this would become a memorial feast that they were going to be doing this every year thereafter as a remembrance of what God did there at the final judgment in Egypt. And we have additional commandments given to us in the Torah that deals with how this memorial Passover is to be done. And in fact, in last week I read to you from Leviticus 23 where God explains to us his appointed times. In other words, all of the feasts that God has commanded the children of Israel, those that believe in the God of Israel, are to keep. And I read to you from chapter 23 the following words, which is verse 4, These are the appointed times of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the times appointed for them in the first month on the 14th day of the month at the twilight is the Lord's Passover. Passover is a one-day event. Each year, it's the first one that starts what we call the seven biblical or seven Levitical feasts that are taught in the Torah. It's a one-day event. However, the observance of it is not done in the daytime. It's done at night. It's called a watch night. And a Hebrew day begins at sundown. A Hebrew day does not begin at midnight like our normal calendar does, it begins at sundown. So if you're in today, at sundown of today, it's actually the next day from a Hebrew standpoint. And that's essentially what God said. 
Now, when you start it, it's going to be the 14th of Nisan. It will be the Passover day. But guess what day we're actually in before that happens? We're in the 13th day. And in fact, in the temple service, this is the way it was commemorated when Yeshua told Peter and John to go prepare the Passover. It was the 13th of Nisan. And they went to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And by the way, 3 o'clock in the afternoon in the temple is when they present the evening sacrifices. The evening sacrifices. And so they had the lamb slain in the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the 13th. They then took it to the place where they were going to observe it, which was the upper room, and they prepared the lamb, and it began to cook, roast on fire, and they were eating the Passover at the nighttime of the Passover now, at 14th of Nisan, close to midnight. It was definitely dark when they were eating it because they were staying up all night for Passover. And that's what Israel would have done. And in the days of Yeshua, that's what took place. Now, I've shared with you before, there's a little bit of controversy about this. And that is that there was a difference of opinion between the Pharisees and the Sadducees on when exactly you would do the Passover. Now, the one I've described that Yeshua did, that was the Passover that the Sadducees said was the teaching of Moses. That at the evening, at the beginning of the 14th day, that that's when the lamb would be slain and that's when they would eat the Passover memorial meal. The Pharisees, on the other hand, said, no, 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 that's not correct. We got to wait until the 14th day is here, and then at evening following the Passover, when we have the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is then the 15th, that's when we are to eat the Passover. And that's the reason why when Yeshua ate the Passover with his disciples, went out in the Garden of Gethsemane, then was arrested and brought back. That's the reason why you have all of these temple council officials. They're not eating the Passover that night. They're holding a trial before their Passover. By the way, in the Passover, you cannot associate death with it in any way, shape, or form. And in fact, those temple council will tell Pilate, we, we, we can't condemn a man before the Passover, it would make us unclean for the Passover. We have to separate those things. But you, Pilate, you, Roman, you can condemn it, but we can't. And by the way, I can't even come into your place where you're at because you're a Gentile, you're unclean, and you'll make me unclean for Passover. And so you had all these restrictions about what they could do. But since they weren't keeping the Passover on the correct day, the one that Moses had specified, that's the reason why they were able to do that. And you have Yeshua keeping the Passover, and yet they're still doing what they're doing. To this day, in the modern observance of Passover in the Jewish community, they follow the Pharisaic tradition. When is Passover? Although well, they'll all say it's the 14th. When do they eat it? On the evening of the 15th. Passover day is complete. Let me give you this brief explanation that goes back historically so you can see how did Moses get the instruction? How does, how does what we're doing, Passover, Feast of Eleven, Feast of First Fruits, how does that fit and why God made a memorial out of it? So let me give you the sequence. 
The judgment, the 10th judgment upon Egypt was at the evening time about midnight on the 14th of Nisan. The lamb had been brought in on the 10th. Then on the afternoon of the 13th, they slew the lamb. They put the blood on the doorpost. At the, it was on there by the twilight at the evening of the 14th. They're inside their houses eating the Passover lamb. It's the 14th, comes midnight. The angel of the Lord comes through. Now, the next day, you know, go through the night, you have the daytime. Guess what Israel was doing on the Passover day? They were plundering Egypt. They were packing up. They were gathering all their things. And they had this unleavened bread, this bread of haste. And so when the Feast of Unleavened Bread came, which is the next day, the 15th, and oh, by the way, we'll get into this in some more detail. The Feast of Unleavened Bread has two high Sabbaths. The first day, the 15th, and the seventh day, the 21st of Nisan. Scripture specifically specifies that. Why do we have two high Sabbaths that go with Feast of Unleavened? Well, it commemorates historically that on the first high Sabbath, on the 15th, that was the day that Israel now began to take steps to leave Egypt. In fact, they all traveled to a rendezvous point called Sukkot that was in Egypt. That's where they assembled, and that's where the pillar and the cloud showed up to lead them, and they all began to dwell in tents. That's the reason why it was called Sukkot. They were all in tents, huts. And they traveled eating the bread of haste. There was no time. They were traveling day and night, the Scripture said, until they came down at the banks of the Red Sea. And on the seventh day, God opened up the Red Sea, and Israel walked across the dry land of the Red Sea, Pharaoh's chariots were destroyed in the Red Sea as a result of that. That was the seventh day. They didn't eat unleavened bread after that. So when we see the observance of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened, it's trying to memorialize the events that took place when Israel came out of Egypt. They ate the Passover that night. That was the death of the firstborn. Passover day, they plundered Egypt. The next day, they left. They left began leaving Egypt. They were eating the bread of haste. They get to the seventh day. They cross the Red Sea. We're done with Egypt. We're out of there. We don't have to deal with Pharaoh's chariots anymore. And that's the historical thing and how the memorial plays out. So again, back to modern observance. In the days of Yeshua, he was doing it according to what Moses had said. And oh, by the way, just to add to the confusion, the Pharisees also changed, and this was the common language of the day. When you read the New Testament, they're using the common language of the day. They don't say Passover and then Feast of Unleavened. They just say unleavened. The, the New Testament will just say unleavened bread. It was unleavened bread. Because on the Passover, you eat unleavened bread there too. And then on the Feast of Unleavened, you eat unleavened bread. So they just say, oh, it's unleavened bread. And only if you really understood the commandments and what they were doing do you know, well, is that specifically Passover day or what? Now, let me just add this one other thing that with Yeshua. When they took him that night, which is the Passover night, after he'd eaten the Passover, he was arrested, and they tried him, they convicted him, and they turned him over to Pilate to be condemned because the, the Jewish authorities couldn't do that. They tried to get King Herod to do it. He wouldn't do it. And then they finally got Pilate to agree to do it. 
after they pressured Pilate politically and said, hey, he's claiming to be a king, and if you don't condemn him, well, then we're going to tell Caesar that you allowed a king of the Jews to be here, and and Pilate knew he could never permit that to happen, so he finally had to agree to let him be condemned, even though he found no fault in him. And so on Passover day, they took him out to be crucified. Now, if you remember the sequence of events that transpired, they put him up on the cross, and he was on the cross for several hours. But then he passed in the afternoon. There was a great darkness that came over the earth. There was an earthquake that took place. The veil was rent. The centurion standing at the base of the cross looked across the valley of Kidron, saw the veil rent, saw the tombs. There's a big cemetery out there with, with tombs above the ground. The, the stones covering the tombs were all knocked off. You know, the tombs were open. The graves were open. And he saw all those events, and that's when he exclaimed, surely this must have been the Son of God. And then he's taken down off the cross before nighttime, and he's buried. Okay? Now, the, at the same time that Yeshua is on the cross, at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and the Bible says it was the ninth hour. The ninth hour of the day is 3 o'clock in the afternoon. At the same hour in the temple... Ceremonially, those Sadducees that didn't eat the Passover night before, they're offering the ceremonial Passover sacrifice that's done in the temple service. They're presenting a lamb up on the altar, which is called, and if you do the study, it's called the second Shakiga sacrifice. The first one was the day before, the one everybody brings. The second one is the ceremonial one done in the temple by the temple council. They're putting that lamb up on the altar the same time that Yeshua is elevated on the cross, dying. So the temple ceremony is carrying out the sacrifice of the lamb just like the lamb of God is dying at the same time. The coincidence here is amazing how God, you know, did that. So those are the elements. Now, here we are in the modern times trying to keep the Passover, and Judaism, the religion of Judaism which really did not get formed until after 90 A.D. I know that's a shock to most of you, but they were just Pharisees before that. They became Judaism, and the first rabbi of Judaism was a man by the name of Yochanan ben Zakkai, and in 90 A.D., he's the guy that kind of put together and built, he was the first rabbi of sorts. And the Talmud and all of the stuff, the teaching material that we use for Judaism it was all documented in about 250 A.D. to 450 A.D. Jewish law didn't even get codified until 1200 A.D. by Maimonides. And so the traditions of Passover and how it's observed in the Jewish world is based on the Pharisaic tradition. It's not based on what Moses said. And Yeshua rightly said of them, they preferred the precepts of men to the commandments of God. They preferred the traditions of the fathers to the commandments of God. Yeshua kept the Passover according to Moses and the commandment. They were keeping according to their precepts and their traditions. And to this day, a lot of messianic brethren, when we come in and we say, well, okay, we're turning back to Moses. So we need to learn about Passover. Well, what happens is, Unless you go back to really the way the Scripture says it, and you ask, well, when exactly is the 14th? 
But if you just follow the Jewish or Hebrew calendar, the diaspora calendar, it's not going to put you on the 14th. It's going to put you on the 15th. So one of the things happening today is amongst Messianics, a lot of new Messianic brethren to come in, and they say, hey, uh, let's go get a calendar, Jewish calendar, when's Passover? Oh, it's on this date. And they don't realize they're doing it on the 15th day. Now, some have come to understand that because as long as I've been a teacher teaching the Torah, I have taught it's on the 14th. And in fact, we, Lionel Land Ministries, have published a calendar putting it on the 14th so you would know exactly when that is. And our date is just before, you know, on the Hebrew calendar, just before the Jewish calendar for Passover because we're doing it on the 14th, they're doing it on the 15th. But yet, many Messianic brethren have never looked into this. I mean, they keep the Passover, but they never looked into what the commandment actually said. And they're just following along with what the rest of the Jewish community is doing. When I have brought this subject up and tried to point out that we're supposed to be getting back to the commandment, not following the, the teaching of the Pharisees, and we're not, we're not following Judaism. We're, we're believing in the God of Israel. They've always kind of argued against me, well, we're trying to do the Passover with the greater Israel. Well, I got news for you. Paul teaches this in Romans chapter 9. Not all those of Israel are Israel. Instead, he says, the part you want to be a part of is the remnant of Israel. You want to be part of the believing part of Israel that obeys the Lord, not the other part of Israel that doesn't obey the Lord. And by the way, go back and look at the history of Israel. The vast majority of Israel has not been obeying the Lord. Had they obeyed the Lord, they would have recognized the Messiah when he showed up. Instead, like the prophets, they killed him. So I don't want to be part of the greater Israel, which is marked by unbelief and rejection of the Messiah and the prophets. I want to be part of the remnant of Israel that has paid attention to the teaching of Moses and follows the example of Yeshua the Messiah. And Yeshua ate the Passover on the 14th. So that's where I want to be at. So now, having set that aside, there are a set of traditional elements on how we do the Passover. And as I mentioned to you before, and this is a true statement, the oldest Jewish written authority on a Passover Seder, how it's observed in the memorial, is the New Testament. The Gospel writers were the first ones who ever did any documentation on and actually described a Passover memorial Seder dinner with the Messiah. All other Jewish literature that is about the keeping of the Passover and how it's done came after that. Now, what's kind of interesting is the ones that the Jewish community uses for the Seder, their tradition, it's the same one that Yeshua and the disciples were doing. In other words, I agree the traditional elements of the Passover, how we keep the Seder, that is consistent with what has been the tradition on how we remember the Passover, how we observe it, because we see Yeshua did those long before they ever documented any of those. So that's the reason why I don't have any hesitation recommending a traditional Passover Haggadah 
that shows you and your family and your brethren how to go through and remember the Passover, to eat the Passover Seder. By the way, let me mention this to you. Seder means order. And the Passover, there's an order to it. As I shared with you before, there's cups involved, there's a platter involved, there's special bread involved, there's elements for it involved. I want to touch on those very briefly in this program with you. This happens to be a Passover Haggadah. By the way, Haggadah means the story of the Lamb. So that's the reason why we have a Haggadah. It's the story of the Lamb. And one of the first things that we learn about in the Passover when you get into the details is we have a Passover Seder platter, and it has certain key elements that is part of the tradition and the teaching that goes with it. One of the elements will be a lamb shank bone. They actually take a lamb bone, a leg bone, and it's clean, and it's put on the platter, and that is called the Zoroa. And Zoroa means, are you ready for this? The arm of the Lord. The Zoroa Adonai is the arm of the Lord. And the reason why we have it called that name is from a passage of Scripture in Isaiah 53. Now, if you know Isaiah 53, you know this is one of the most powerful prophecies of the Messiah that is given to us because that's the one that talks about him being smitten. That's the one that he, where he carries our sins upon him. He dies you know, for us and so forth. But it begins, that passage begins, by who has believed our report and to whom is the Zoroadonai revealed unto? In other words, the opening question of the memorial for the Passover is, who knows what this shank bone of this lamb represents? That's the question that's posed when you start a Passover. That's the first thing. Who knows what the Zoroa Adonai, the arm of the Lord, means? Well, Isaiah 53 answers that. That's the Messiah coming and giving his life, his body and his life, for our redemption that he's going to carry our sins away. Our sins are going to be put upon him. He's going to suffer death for us. That's what the arm of the Lord is about, the Lamb of God, Haggadah, story of the Lamb. And that's how, that's the first symbol that we're confronted with. This particular Haggadah follows the traditional elements of a Seder. However, it's slightly different in that I wrote it. And I wrote this way back many years ago to help my Messianic brethren so that they could have a Passover Seder, a traditional one, and yet at the same time, it would include all of those elements in the New Testament about what Yeshua did with his disciples when they ate the Passover. And so I point out as you go through the order, remember when Yeshua did this, when he did the washings? Do you remember when he dipped his and sopped with Judas in the bitter herbs? You remember that part? You know, what, when, when he took the bread and the cup after the meal, you remember that part, you know, where it describes? Well, I make sure that as you go through the elements of the Passover, you understand all those things that Yeshua and his disciples did. Now, this particular Haggadah also covers an item called Betikat Hametz, which is the day before Passover, because you got to prepare the house for the Passover. And one of the things that is in the commandment to keep the Passover in your home, you must remove leaven from your home. Now, when we get into, and I start explaining the Feast of Unleavened, one of the biggest questions we're going to have to answer is, 
what in the world is leaven? And every year we have to answer that question. We have to examine what is leaven in our lives because we know it's a symbol for that which is puffed up against the Lord, that which is opposed to the Lord, sin, those things. We want to remove those things. We want to make the play at the house and the home ready for the Passover with the Lord. And there's this little ceremony that is done, traditional, in a home, especially if you have children. And I did this when my children were small. Mom, the day before, first of all, the house was cleaned of leaven. We removed all of it. Okay. But to this little ceremony to teach this, the commandment to remove leaven, she would take, oh, uh, like about a, a 10 or so little croutons, you know, which is leavened bread, and she would strategically place those in the house. And then I, the father, I would take a flashlight. We would darken the house, and I would take a flashlight, and they would have a paper sack and a feather. And the idea was the children would follow me, and I would point the light, and I, I knew where to go look for the hamets, the, the leaven, and I would shine the flashlight on. I'd shine the light on, and they're supposed to follow the light, take that feather, open the sack up, and scoop it, and don't touch it, just scoop it into the waste bag. And then we'll gather them all up, and then when we gather them all up, we tie that off, And then that sack and that feather would then be burned or destroyed. That was the act of removing leaven from the home. It was was kind of a a teaching example for the children. Now, i got to tell you how this teaching example works because it was, I mean, it really tells you a lot about us. I would get the flashlight. The room is dark. I'm shining the flashlight. I'm going right up. I'm shining the flashlight right on that crouton that's standing right there, and my kids are running all around trying to look for the leaven in the dark. And I'm like, follow the light. I'll show you. I'm, I'm your father. I'll show you where it's at. Just follow my, the light, and I'll show you where the leaven is at. Well, guess what You know, we, we struggle with every time we try to remove leaven from the house. Oh, what is leaven? Where do I look? You know, and so forth. You could maybe follow the light of the father. You could maybe let God show you what the leaven is. And if he shows you what it is, shines the light on it, so to speak, why, then that's the leaven that you would remove. And this little ceremony before you ever get to Passover is very, very illustrative about our own walk of faith, about pay attention to what the Father is showing you, pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's showing you, that that'll lead you in the faith. You don't have to go do it on your own. Incredible lesson for it. All right, so that's the night before. Let me also mention one other thing. There is a tradition that if you're a firstborn of your house, you remember at the Passover, it was the firstborn that were redeemed. Traditionally, if you're firstborn of the house, you fast the day before the Passover. So that when you come to the Passover meal, you know, you have a sense of appetite, you're, you're hungry, and you enjoy the Passover even more, and you remember that it was I that was passed over. I was the one that was redeemed, and for firstborn, it's kind of a special way to recognize them in the family. However, there's one problem with that, and I was firstborn in in my house, and so I observed this, and the first couple of times I had the Passover, 
you do know you're going to be drinking four cups of wine, two before the dinner and two after the dinner, okay? And you got an appetite. And so I would go into the Passover, and by the time I got to dinner, after I'd had two cups of wine in this uh, order here, the Seder, I was in a good mood. I was ready for dinner. And you have to be kind of careful about how much wine you consume on an empty stomach, okay? But this is part of the tradition. This is part of the where we're trying to enhance the joy and what you learn from, from the Passover. I don't necessarily push that so much the fast of the firstborn, but that is one of the traditions. Now, when we actually begin the, ta- the Passover, the mother is the one who really sets the, the festival table. Candles, plates, a seat for everyone. Everybody has a place at the table. The meal's been prepared in advance. Sometimes there's matzo ball soup. You know, we, we like to eat lamb and other vegetables that goes with the Passover. But the whole idea is to make this meal and the guests that come to it completely special from all of the meals. I mean, this meal is even more special than if you were to go to some organized banquet somewhere else. It's like a banquet in your home. Truly, the word feast is appropriate because of the decor, the special things that are done. The very best things are put forth by the family and for the guests to participate. And to start the Passover, there's a set of blessings for it, and the person who actually starts the Passover is the wife by lighting the holiday candles. And her act of lighting the holiday candles is the final act of preparation because as soon as the candles are lit, she said her blessing and she sits down. The Passover has begun. From that moment forward, it has begun. So why would we have a woman light the candles? Well, it's the same teaching we do why a woman lights the Sabbath candles. It's because we say that the light of the world, the Messiah, came into the world through the flesh of a woman. So the woman is the one who brings the light of the world into the home where we're at. And we honor the ladies of the family to light the candles and do that. One of the first things that we're going to do is we're going to use one of the first cups. There are four cups to the Passover. The first cup is called the cup of sanctification. Sanctification means separation. And so we take one of these ceremonial goblets, we put wine in it, and we say a blessing to the Lord, and we call this the cup of sanctification. We drink it, and at that point, we have now made this meal and this table and all that's going to happen completely separate from all other meals for the rest of the year and completely separate from all other meals that we've ever had. Each Passover is set apart separately for it to be done. Now, in the order that follows, then we're going to have a ceremonial washing. It's called urkats. Now, in the New Testament, Yeshua, at this point in the Seder that he was with, he got up, he took his garments of honor. The leader of the Passover wears what's called a kittle. It's a garment of honor to lead the Passover. He took it off. He humbled himself. He then took a basin and water, and he began to wash the feet of the disciples. And if you recall, Peter objected to it. Oh, Lord, don't wash my feet. You know, he saw him as Messiah, King, Son of God. You're not going to wash my feet. And he said, yeah, yeah, Peter, I have to. 
And by the way, if you don't let me do it, you're not going to have any part of me. He said, well, if they can case that, we'll wash all of me. He said, no, washing your feet will be sufficient here. And he goes around and he washed, he washed the feet. Now, in a traditional Seder, we just have the cup for washing the bowl and we wash our hands. Now, in some Messianic Seders, and I have done this before, I do wash the feet of my guests. We set up the basins, and it's a very humbling experience. You will experience what Peter went through. You know, my Seder, when Monty is humbling, getting down before you, and is going to wash your feet, you know, before the Passover. It's a humbling experience. It kind of changes your whole disposition and attitude of what's going on. And if you do that in your Passover, you're experiencing exactly what the disciples did when they ate it with the Messiah. The next thing that follows is called carpods, and we usually take a piece of parsley, a green thing. Some people use celery. And there is a bowl with salt water in it. And we say the blessing, and we take this parsley or the celery, whatever it is, greenery, and we dip it twice in the salt water. We consciously dip it twice, and then we eat of it. And the reason why we do it is that we say that Israel was born of tears, that when we left Egypt, you know, we were crying to the Lord. And then we crossed the Red Sea, which was salt water. So we had two times we dealt with salt water, our tears and crossing the Red Sea. That's how we came out. The next little element that we do is we recognize the bread that we're going to be used, the unleavened bread. I have a piece of matzah here, traditional matzah that is made. That, let, me, let me describe this to you. It's a flat cake. I'm sure most of you have been around matzah. And there's stripes in it. And there's little holes poked in it. Now, the reason why it is because when they made this, they had to do that. They had to press this down because this bread, when it's baking, it puffs up. And they're trying to keep it from puffing up. They want to keep it flat. So they have a machine that rolls it and puts stripes in it and it pokes holes in it. And then when it comes down, it gets crushed. And in fact, in the course of eating it, you crush it to keep it flat, to keep this the bread of humility. This is not puffed up bread. Puffed up meaning, you know, prideful. And they, we do a little ceremony where we take three pieces of this. We put it in usually a cloth, a linen cloth that holds three compartments. You can actually just use a napkin. You put it in three parts. It's called the unity. And we invite people to come and eat the Passover. All of our guests are formally invited to come do it. And it's called the Magid. Where, and, oh, by the way, let me tell you about those three pieces of bread. Traditionally, the top piece of bread is the piece of bread that is given to the Father. And in the Passover, he eats that piece of bread. The second piece of bread is the one that is broken. And what they'll do is he will break that second piece. He'll select one part of it, which he calls the best part. And, and for example, as I break this bread, it kind of breaks easily, this bread then has a name. And it's called the afikomen. Afikomen means it is fulfilled or it is finished. And this is the dessert of the Passover. And what we do is we take this, we wrap it in a linen cloth, and the father places it somewhere in the house 
and he puts a pillow over the top. The pillow is called the stone, and we essentially buried that piece of bread. Now, later, after the meal, we're going to call for that bread to come forth, and I'll tell you about later on what the kids play a little game, but at that point, it becomes a bread that has been resurrected from the grave. We buried it, it comes out of the grave, and it becomes the best part of the Passover. We'll explain that in sequence here in a little bit. And the third piece of the bread is called the comforter. Father, broken bread, comforter. And the comforter is when we have to eat bitter herbs. We find out that you want more bread than bitter herbs, and so you eat more matzah with the bitter herbs, and it's called the comforter because it's a little easier to eat that horseradish if you've got a lot of matzah with it. So it's kind of an interesting tradition, you know, and like I said, the first time I ever saw this and I came from a Christian background, I went, my goodness, this is the most Christian thing I've ever done in my life, although this is the traditional order of the Seder. And in particularly why a lot of folks, when they come in the Messianic movement, they go through a Passover Seder, they go, I've been looking for this all my life. I, I've been wanting to have, eat this feast with the Lord for a long time, and I didn't realize what it was. The next item that it comes in the order is called the cup of instruction. We take that second cup, we fill it, and there's something kind of special with it. That's the cup when we will teach our children and tell the story of the judgment, that, of all the judgments that fell upon Egypt, and, and particularly that led to the death of the firstborn. So we're telling the whole story that led up to the Passover. Because God commanded us when we gave the memorial command, he says, you will teach your sons this, teach them. So, And by the way, the way Paul explains teaching it, he says, you're supposed to tell your son when you're teaching it that it was you, you personally, that came out of Egypt and went through the Red Sea. Now, we all know that was an ancient thing. That, that didn't happen to me. That didn't happen to my father. It happened to the ancients. However, when I teach my son the Passover, I'm supposed to tell him, no, it was me that came out of the Red Sea, so that he will tell his son, so each generation of sons will be taught about the Passover. So this is when we tell the story. And oh, by the way, we usually start the story at a very interesting point. We start with the story of Joseph, and we start in Genesis 37. Here we are talking about the Passover, the things that happened in Egypt, and we start talking about the first Hebrew that was enslaved in Egypt. And if you remember, Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt, and he is the one who brought Jacob, his father, and the family down to live in Egypt when there was the famine and Joseph was the viceroy of Egypt. He was the one that started the whole business of how did we get in Egypt to begin with. So we start the story of redemption with him. And in fact, one of the interesting points of teaching of the Torah is the answer to where is the first verse in the Torah about the story of redemption? Where's the first verse? The answer is Genesis 37, 12. When Jacob sent Joseph to see to the welfare of the flock and the brethren, and the concept of the father sends the son to see to the benefit of the others 
is the story of redemption. That's the first part. John 3.16, if you believe that my Father sent the Son, okay, that's the story of redemption. That's He's repeating what they had been taught would be the work of redemption by God, the Father sending the Son. All right, so it starts there, and we go through all the different judgments. We talk about the crossing of the Red Sea. There's some other traditional elements that are specifically geared to teaching about children. There's a thing called the four questions. We have four classes of children trying to learn the Passover. We answer those questions. We do some fun songs. We talk about the judgments. In some Passovers where you have a lot of little kids, you can have fun things for the kids to do as you go through the different judgments. You know, like the judgment of flies, they get these little, like pepper or something, they sprinkle pepper all around. You know, I mean, they, they do some goofy things. Boils, they put little red spots, you know, little stickers on themselves and all that. You can make this a very fun event for your whole family to be a part of it. In any case, we get to the point where we've told the story. Then we go through each of the elements of the Seder platter. We recognize the Zoroah. We recognize the hard-boiled egg, which represents the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. The herosis, which is supposed to be apples and honey and wine, which is a mixture that looks like the mortar making bricks with straw. And we go through the, uh, the parsley, and, and we go through all the elements on the Seder platter, so where we come to the point of finally the unleavened bread. And at that point, that's when we're going to eat some unleavened bread with bitter herbs, and we're going to also eat the matzah with the herosis and so forth. Those things will then lead us to the dinner. Once we've completed the teaching of the Passover, then we have our feast, we have our dinner, and then it's going to go to the cups that are going to be after the meal. And that's the very important part that we learn specifically in the New Testament. In fact, much of what is in the New Testament about the Messiah that has to do with keeping the Passover with his disciples had to do with the events that traditionally happen after the meal. That cup that's after the meal is called the cup of redemption. And uh, the bread has to come forth from the grave. Let me elaborate just on that part. There's a game that is played at a traditional Passover in which the children during the course of the meal, are going to go over to where that bread, that afikoman, was buried. And the game is that they move the pillow out of the way, they open the linen cloth up, and they steal the bread. So after the meal's over with, when we're ready to start the Seder again, the father then says, afikoman, come forth. And they go over, and the children come back and report, are you ready for this? The stone has been moved, and all we found was this linen cloth. Does that sound like the New Testament to you? It certainly does. That's exactly what was described to us about the resurrection of Yeshua. They actually act out the resurrection. This was prophetically set up so that when the disciples, you know, that's the reason why John gives so much attention to where the linen cloth was and the stone was moved and, and everything. He, he, he got it that they had in the Passover had demonstrated all of that. Now, I don't have enough time here in this episode to can tell you all the other things with it. But let me tell you, this is where the Passover gets really good. And the traditional Seder of having that cup of redemption and the afikoman bread 
begins to take reality for us and our faith in a very dramatic and powerful way. So that is our program for this episode. I'll leave you in suspense. You definitely want to hear the next program when we talk about the third cup and the afikoman, the second half of a traditional Seder. So until then, Shabbat Shalom. I hope you're getting ready for Passover and the feast this spring. And next week I'll see you and we'll talk about that very special afikoman bread and the cup of redemption and the final cups of the Passover. Until then, Shabbat Shalom. Thank you.